0: Hello, and welcome to Great Ridge Station, a place to sit back and relax while waiting for your train to board. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. The goal here at the depot is to help you strengthen your own practice of leadership, no matter where you serve. Every episode will give you not only the background theory, but some practical tools that you can use right away. Great Ridge Station is a service of Great Ridge Group, LLC. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Season 1, Episode 9 Bill Hybels once made the observation that you are the biggest leadership challenge that you will ever face. Over the next few episodes, we're going to look at some key ideas that we need to deal with and questions we need to answer in order to lead ourselves well. Now back in the 1990s, Peter Drucker wrote an excellent piece called Managing Oneself." In it, he presented five things that a leader needs to know about himself or herself. And I found this to be such a helpful article that for years, I used it as a resource in my personal retreat days. It would be me, the Peter Drucker article, the Bible, and a notebook. And it helped me figure out what was going on in my life and my career, and helped me sort out where God might might want me to be going. So, I recommend the Drucker article without reservations. I've often said... That if I knew I was going to be stranded on an Arctic island, I was not made for tropical life. If I was going to be stranded on an Arctic island and could take only one leadership resource with me, it would be Managing Oneself by Peter Drucker. I'll put a link to that article on our show page. Over the upcoming episodes, you can expect to hear echoes of that Drucker article. Not necessarily because I want to, but because of the the profound impact it's had on me as a leader. And one more thing. I had this question come up from a couple of listeners. And it's not the sort of thing that should really go into the Mr. Question Man segment. But they ask me, do I have to listen to these Great Ridge Station episodes in order? Relax. We don't police that very strongly and the uniformed officers that roam the halls here are too busy to worry about whether you're observing proper protocol with regard to, to program syntax so if you want to catch the train from two weeks ago hey who am i to stop you <laughs> i've tried to make this as standalone as possible relatively bite-sized and even this series i'm managing yourself doesn't have to be listened to in any particular order so with all that in mind let's dig into some of the key factors in managing yourself. Now I've structured each of these as questions you need to be able to answer in order to thrive as a leader. But the key is not in answering them. The key is in knowing yourself well enough to know how you're wired up, what kind of industry, workplace, work culture, or environment is a best fit for you. These are good things to know, particularly if you're thinking about a job transition, or if an unexpected job transition is thinking about you. So, let's get on to the questions. First of all, what do I care most deeply about? Well, this might not be a surprise to you, but I'm not going to say anything about this question except to say, go back and listen to Season 1, Episode 8, The Values Episode, and we'll move along. The next question is, how do I like to get information? You know, in our creative, connected economy, there are all sorts of effective ways of gathering up information and doing research. Know how that works for you. See, for most people in the business world, there are a whole bunch of different levels of research, and you're going to prefer one over the others maybe not but if your strength fighter strengths is learner you'll probably thrive in all of these otherwise you're probably going to have your favorites first the highest level is doing original research this can be survey data demographic and market research interviews focus groups statistical analyses and it used to be that original research required people to collect original data but now in the age of big data and analytics for the first time in history It's possible to do original research from existing data. Now, here's my disclaimer. I'm not an expert in the research that's most relevant to your field. You'll need some specialized help and training on how to do that kind of research and do it correctly. Research is not for amateurs, because there's an art and a science to collecting data. And one badly phrased survey item can make a mess of all of your data. And there are legal and ethical questions about what kind of data can be collected and how. Now, if that makes you nervous, you can easily move on to the next level. And I call this level scholarly research. Uh, In this approach, the focus is on studies that have already been completed by other researchers. Now, this is valuable because it allows you to look at new information and ideas that are just out of the gate. Scholarly research can be difficult because academics need to use a highly technical writing style. So, let me translate that. It's hard to read, and it's probably boring. But seriously, regardless of the discipline, if you don't know the underlying vocabulary and core assumptions, you'll struggle to make sense of the research. There's a great story from Richard Feynman. He told this story that he had made a discovery in the field of biology. Now, he was a physicist, not a biologist, but he had been encouraged to publish his findings because they were significant. And as he tells it, he wrote the paper, and his friend the biologist read it and kept laughing along the way. Finally, he explained to Feynman that, Feynman had over explained a lot of the things that biologists took for granted and under explained the things that physicists took for granted. His friend offered to rewrite the paper for the audience for which it was intended and Feynman agreed that was probably a good idea. So when the paper was done and published Feynman noted that he couldn't understand it even though it was his research. Now he tells that story way better than I do The point is that if you don't understand the vocabulary of the field, this kind of research becomes really difficult. There are a lot of great ideas that you can gather, but keep in mind that a lot of it is highly theoretical, highly technical, and not always easy to make sense of if you're an outsider. Now at some point, someone takes that original research and makes it accessible. The phrase that I like to use is downwriting. Someone has to write that research to a lower level, a less technical level, for an audience, for a different kind of audience, rather, and apply it to a particular field in meaningful ways. Hanging around in the scholarly research field might mean that you could be the one who writes things down for your domain of knowledge. But that's if that's not you, well, then you can benefit from this kind of research. See, this kind of material is still pretty challenging, but it's written for people who are generally well-educated and a good general vocabulary. This is a place where good research gets traction and can have a significant impact on the thought leaders in a particular field. Now, the next level down is when ideas start to make it into the mainstream. And again, some downwriting is required to make these ideas accessible to a general mass-market audience. Okay, now I know that was more than you bargained for, but there is a point. How do you like to get information? Are you comfortable searching things out on your own? Or do you need information that has already been processed into useful nuggets? You know, that really brings with it the question of who do you trust? Several years ago, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a piece for The New Yorker entitled The Picture Problem. And in it, he detailed the fact that it doesn't matter how definitive your data is or how clear your picture is. Its usefulness its usefulness comes down to how well it is interpreted. So who are you going to trust to make sense of the data that comes across your desk? I've heard a lot of leaders say things like, just give me bullet points or put it into a presentation and I'll look at that. Well, that's bad news. Edward Tufte has done a lot of work on the presentation of data and his work on the misleading nature of PowerPoint decks is profoundly helpful. Those shorthand approaches to providing information tend to lead the witness by presenting information in a way that presumes, or at the very least prefers, a particular outcome. So if that's your leadership approach to gathering data for decision making, you'll find yourself in trouble pretty quickly. That's why this question, how do you like to get information, is so important. You need to know how you can gather data you can trust and how you can interpret it correctly. If you don't do that, you're putting your organization and your career at risk. As a leader, you simply have to know where your information is coming from and whether it is from a trustworthy source. So that question was about how do I gather information. But there's another aspect that we have to deal with, and that's the point of the next question. What's my learning style, and how do I learn best? This is one of Peter Drucker's original questions. He divided people into two groups, readers and listeners. So let me say this, I think his analysis was brilliant, and it's still very helpful, but it's at least 25 years old, and our understanding of learning has really changed significantly. These days, it's possible to learn through reading, listening, watching, creating, doing, take your pick. Best of all, there's plenty of content and plenty of tools out there to help you learn more effectively. See, Howard Gardner is the person who developed the theory of multiple intelligences. And in it, he proposes that everyone has intelligence, but they have it in a different way. The ability of a quilter, an auto mechanic, an organic chemist are radically different from one another, and yet all three represent profoundly complex intellectual and functional processes. So how do you learn best? By seeing? By reading? By listening? By doing? By creating? By making? You have to know that. I wish I could tell you where I was reading this, but I can't. If I figure it out, I'll put the citation in the show notes. People assume that because they understand a process, they know A math problem might make perfect sense when you hear about it or see it worked out, and your brain goes, oh, yeah, of course, that makes perfect sense, I get it. And people think they know. They don't. See, it's a huge move from, yes, that makes sense, to, I can do it. There was an old line from the Monty Python comedy troupe that went something like this. How to play the flute. Well, you blow in one end and move your fingers up and down the outside. Well, that's true, and it even makes sense but it takes a long time to develop the skills and nuances to actually play the flute. It's been said that the violin is the easiest instrument to play badly. Unlike wind instruments, there's no fiddling with the mouthpiece, getting your armature right, just drag the bow across the strings and you will get a sound. That's why it's so easy to play badly, but it's also one of the most difficult instruments to play well. As I said in a previous episode, learning takes skill and time. Learning anything requires you to learn how you learn and develop those learning skills. John Taylor Gatto was an author, teacher, educational activist who was a bit of a rebel in the field of education. He passed away in October 2018. One of his most compelling ideas is found in his approach to literacy. He made the argument that there are two kinds of literacy. The first is passive literacy, and it encompasses everything we think of when we hear the word literacy. Can a person read? In Gatto's world, there's more to it than just reading. It's any kind of information gathering, whether visual, media, documentaries, audio, through fantastic podcasts like this, or through traditional research and reading. John Taylor Gatto's innovation was his concept of active literacy. And this involves taking what you've learned and communicating it to others in a way that it makes sense to them. The traditional model is, can you write it down and explain it? But again, we can add other sorts of media and communication as well. If you can't explain it clearly enough for someone else to understand it, then you don't know it. So ask yourself that, leader person. Do you know your business well enough to explain it to someone else? Can you make difficult ideas clear to those around you? Can you lead? See, you have to know how you learn, mostly because your role as a leader is about being able to teach others. In the healthcare world, there's a, a learning protocol that's referred to simply as see one, do one, teach one. That model is always overseen by qualified individuals who provide feedback throughout the process, and studies have shown that this serves to really cement the learning and the ability to do See, that strikes really close to the ideas that John Taylor Gatto promoted. We have to be able to share our knowledge with others, and if we can't, we may not have the knowledge we think we have. Remember that model in your own work. See one, do one, teach one. The idea that we're all intelligent in different ways is a compelling one, and Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences has been constantly developing and evolving since its, uh, since its introduction a couple of decades back. Now, shortly after the turn of the millennium, Ronald Riggio and Susan Murphy wrote a book applying the theory of multiple intelligences to leadership. Mind you, this is not an easy book. It's full of a lot of technical terms and research, But if that deep scholarly writing appeals to you, then I recommend it. Now, I won't go into all of those details now, but I plan to address more implication of multiple intelligence for leaders in an episode slated for Season 2, so, you know, don't touch that dial. And with that, we bring this episode to a conclusion. Work through those two questions in your own work and life. How do I like to receive information, and how do I learn? that will make a long-term difference in your effectiveness as a leader and a long-term difference in the effectiveness of your followers thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station as the train boards and rolls on to its next destination we hope you found your time here helpful consider what you've learned and what strategies and practices you can implement right now if you have leadership questions that you'd like us to address We'd love to hear from you, and you can find the questions link on our show page. We can't answer everything, but we'll watch for themes and big-picture questions and get to as many as we can. All content is developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson with appropriate citations of outside sources. Our sound engineer is Brick Martin. All background and bumper media is in the public domain and retrieved from archive.org. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River. The closing music is from Annunzio Montavani, Skyscraper Fantasy. Limited opportunities are available for supporting sponsorships. Contact information is available on our show page. I'm already looking forward to your next visit to Great Ridge Station. Bye-bye.